point for the title as Nadal serves down the centre. And a backhand to the beach, Nadal who scoops at the backhand cross, got his winner! For Rafa Nadal, who will still be the world number one on Monday with his 11th Rolex Monte Carlo Masters title. He's 31 at this level, his 54th on the clay, and now 36 straight sets won on this surface. One hour and 33. Nadal is your champion in Monte Carlo. 6-3-6-2 against Kei Nishikuri. He is the undisputed king of clay. Rafa Nadal dominates again in Monte Carlo, winning the title for a fifth time without dropping a set. 11 titles from 12 finals. You find yourself running out of words to describe Nadal, but we will find some as you're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Gigi Salmon and Arvin Palmer with you from the Monte Carlo Country Club. So your task, Arvin Palmer, is to find some words, maybe some new ones, if there are new ones, to describe Rafa Nadal. Oh, you put me on the spot here, Gigi. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just been, yeah, you're right. You run out of superlatives, really. It's just been a phenomenal effort from Nadal uh, this week again. Uh, front and centre is why he has been so dominant over the years, not only on clay, but in particular here this week in Monte Carlo. It was just a, a breathtaking performance once again from him in the final. Uh, was actually broken uh, first uh, in that opening set. Some really good play from Nishikori, but the question was always for Nishikori, could he be able to keep that level up? And he wasn't able to. Nadal just keeps banging at the door, keeps asking you so many questions. And by the end of that second set, really, when he was closing out the match, well, you could just see the, the belief levels from Nishikori had just been drained away. He's just been pummeled into submission. The numbers are crazy. As we've touched on, 11th title here in Monte Carlo, 76 for his career, 54 have come on clay, 31 at Masters level. Now, 36 straight sets on the clay. He didn't drop a set on the way to this title, and he conceded of just 21 games. We've got to check if that's a record for his uh, win here in Monte Carlo. Look, he's got through these draws uh, pretty handily over the years. But, I mean, that was just something special. And considering that he's coming back off quite a layoff as far as uh, the injury is concerned, played Davis Cup a couple of weeks ago, and that looked really good. And it was just about, from what I was told, about just seeing how the movement was, how it is. Yeah, he'd been kind of plonked in one corner and was working on his ground strokes, but not much movement going on there. So to come back there and help uh, Spain win, win that tie and uh, the fact that, you know, it was just testing it out and that he hadn't really been able to, you know, he hadn't actually finished a match in 2018, had to pull out and retire from matches and to come here this week and play as well as he did. Phenomenal effort. Well, it's incredible. If we take out the Davis Cup and just look at two-level tournaments, he had pulled out, mm. withdrawn, walkover, retired, etc., etc., from his last eight leading up to here in Monte Carlo. Staggering. Absolutely, and hugely frustrating for him. The fact that he couldn't finish matches or having to pull out events, never ideal, is it? So you, at some stage you start, I mean, psychologically, you start having some real doubts. I'm, I'm wanting to play, I'm traveling to tournaments, but I'm not 100% fit. But that's where he's made smart decisions as well. The fact that he's not going to come back too early. I think he's learned that over the years, especially now uh, into his 30s, that he doesn't want, doesn't want to really risk anything as far as if he sees himself playing for a few more years yet, that you have to only play when you're 100% fit. I mean, Federer's done it and, you know, he's paid dividends as far as that is concerned. So he's reaping the, the benefits of that. 
There is no let-up because he has a title defend in Barcelona, which is his next stop at 500 level. There is the number one ranking that, while Federer is not taking part in the clay season, he keeps going back to number one because the points drop off for Nadal and he has to reach that title to get back up there again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a nice position actually for <laughs> Federer to be in. He's probably uh, watching the live rankings. What, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, at, uh, having some time off, but practicing as well and getting ready. It must be a little bit strange for Federer having kind of focusing on the grass when it seems so far away yet. But ev everything he does from now until the grass court scene is always all geared to perhaps winning a. a another Wimbledon title for, for Federer, but he might be sitting on a lounger somewhere and, <laughs> oh, look, I've gone back to world number one. But on the evidence of today, I think Nandal might be able to do it. I think by the end of the clay court season, I think he, he might be world number one still, which is a phenomenal effort because he's got, what, 5,000, 6,000 points to, to defend over the next five or six weeks, but got a little bit of leeway as well because, what, he only made the quarters of Rome last year, so he can gain a few points there. <laughs> And who's to say he won't go to <laughs> Barcelona and win there, go to Madrid as well. And, he's, and that's a motivator for him as well, thinking, right, if I'm able to win all these tournaments and still get to world, be number, world number one at the end of it, that's, a, that's a, another motivator for, for Nadal. And if no one can get near him in the best of three set format, where on earth does that leave the rest of the field at Roland Garros when it's over five? Well, I think it's the toughest thing in, in sport right now. You know, forget about tennis in sport to beat Nadal on the clay court and over five sets is just you, you, you have to play your very best tennis. Tennis that maybe that you think you, you, you didn't and you weren't able to produce. Um, because Nadal at Roland Garros, another court there that he's just made his home. And it's not only the tennis, but psychologically playing against him he has a huge edge there. The locker room power that he's built up over you know, the last decade or so on that court, it, it's, a, it's a tough one to, to, to overcome. You, you're going to hope that you, could, you play your best and Nadal gets a little nervous or just has a, a really bad off day. But over the course of five sets, you know, he, he's one of these, these players, one of these competitors that eventually finds his form and just gets through. So on the evidence today, Nadal is back fit and better than ever. On the evidence today, the man he beat, there's a lot of positive. I know Nishikori had a, a big bag of ice on, on the right wrist because it, it will feel sore, but so many positives for Nishikori who came in as the world number 36 and leaves as the world number 22. Uh, hugely positive. I, th I think he wouldn't have thought he'd even be able to get to the final this week said it earlier if he'd got through a round or two here this week considering the draw Burdick in the first round wasn't the best match but he got through it get through another one he would have been happy with that because actually from what he was saying it wasn't great the risk wasn't great early early on in the in in the tournament and it looked as if maybe he was going to pull the plug on the week but kind of just stuck to it. I think the fact that he had Chang here this week and Dante Pantini just kind of really trying to say, okay, you're going you're gonna to feel a bit of soreness, listen to the doctors, you're not going to do any, any more damage to that wrist. It's all about just trying to compete and just hang in there and trust that the wrist will, will hold up because sometimes it's not about the, the initial pain that you're feeling. 
the soreness, but it's actually, you know, the pain really coming back uh, and you doing more damage to the wrist. Uh, uh, so it was good to see him tough, tough those those matches out because he spent a lot of time on, on court this week, over 10 hours, over 11 hours in total after the final. So for the, the on the whole, the wrist to be in good shape, I think that's a massive positive for him. Good for his mindset. If we do sort of a, a good week, bad week, or if we don't want to be as strong as bad week, a good week, it wasn't the best week. Who falls in to what categories? I mean, for, I just start things off, Richard Gasquet, I would say very good week because he picked up his first two-level win here in Monte Carlo. And this week picked up his 500th two-level win. And he wasn't far away from knocking out Sasha Zverev. He played so well in that match against Zverev in that quarterfinal match. He was unplayable for the first five or six games. He was throwing in the drop shots, playing with real flair, but unfortunately he couldn't keep it up. Uh, in that second set, Zeros became a little bit more uh, aggressive and outlasted him physically at the end. And I'm not surprised actually Gasquet got a little sore at the end there. He's had his niggles of late and probably not 100% match fit. But looking through the door, I think, think one man that will be pretty happy with how it kind of unfolded for a couple of rounds was Djokovic. I think he'll be happy that he, he was able to get through a couple of matches and, and tough out Chorich in that second round match, six and five there. That was that was a good match to get through and and uh, a decent effort, I thought, against Dominic Team as well. Did well in that first set, especially to, to dig in and, and steal that one away because it looked as if Team was going to run away with that first set. Uh, but one man that will be very disappointed and, and slightly worrying signs once again is Milos Raonic having to withdraw with a, a knee injury. Um, you know, a guy that has had so many injuries the last couple of years that you do you do fear for him. And, and he's not going to risk anything in the short term, you'd think, over the clay course. He's got the grass court season just around the corner, and that's his best chance of winning a major. He's come close there already. So I just hope the knee isn't too bad and a couple of weeks rest and we will see him back for at least one of the uh, the the masters 1000 events just around the corner and, and hopefully he's 100 percent fit come the grass dominic team will have been a good week up until he bumped into rafa nadal there was so much expectation on that match because of what we saw on this surface last year a team the only one to beat nadal that was as we touched on in, in rome at the quarterfinals but then to take just two games from nadal when they met up it was i think it was a surprise to a lot of people that match in isolation yes I think it promised much and it, much and it didn't really deliver Nadal was rock solid he played very well but team he wasn't at the races really for him you know I think going into that that match for me for me and still for me you know he's probably Nadal's biggest threat this clay court season it's the first week on clay and you've got to remember he's just come back from a broken ankle a fracture there and five weeks away so you don't know how much he's been able to, to play and how rusty he was coming into this event here this week in Monte Carlo so to get through Rublev in five sets and then to to win another three set match against Djokovic Look, overall, he would have signed for that. David Goffin will be happy because he got his first win since coming back from the eye injury in Rotterdam. Two other players to touch on, Gregor Dimitrov and Sasha Zverev. How will they view their time on the courts at the Monte Carlo Country Club? Yeah, Gregor Dimitrov, I think, again, another week where he ground through some, some really tough matches. It wasn't at his best. I think that's been the case this year for him, Dimitrov. I think he set the bar so high last year, winning Cincy and then winning uh, in London that 
you thought he would just kind of carry on the next year. It just shows you, though, you start from scratch. You feel those same sort of pressures. Of course, you take the, the positives of what you've just been able to achieve. But starting all over again, the pressures there and the expectation levels on him are, are then gone up. And there's opportunities every week now for the players that have been waiting in the wings for, for so many years. And, and you do sometimes feel that pressure. But the fact that he was able to win, what, three matches here this week uh, and... No one expected him to, to beat Nadal. He just just hoped that, you know, that his shoulder that he was feeling at the end of the end of that match that that it's not long term and he'll be okay. I do want to mention because before Nadal and Nishikori took to the court, we had the men's doubles final and back-to-back -back Masters 1000 titles for the Bryan brothers who took the title in Miami. They had wins just really looking through their draw and they had some tough matches. They came through against the clay court specialists in Cuevas and Grenois. They were an unseeded pair. And then the wild-carded pairing of Bellelli and Fanini who were causing all sorts of people all sorts of trouble. And then the fourth-seeded pairing, the Bryan brothers, had to defeat the third seed. Marek and Pavic in the final. So the, the Bryan brothers questions how long will they last for? When are they going to decide that enough is enough? Definitely not now. They've had a great start to 2018. The evergreen Bryan brothers, 40 <laughs> years of age. Uh, just Stunning, quite remarkable. 38th uh, Masters tournament win. I mean, they just... Uh, they are quite phenomenal, aren't they? And last year they had quite a, a, a light year as far as the tournament wins concerned and the calendar the amount of tournament tournaments they've played but listening to a couple of interviews for them it's it's all out this year they're going to play everything they're going to try and get themselves uh, back right up there and who knows uh, back to to the number one pairing in the world what an achievement that would be to to sort of dominated for for so long and had a little bit of a dip and then to maybe put them in a themselves in a great chance to, to finish the year as the the number one pairing again would be quite the story so the next masters event is in madrid the masters 1000 they will have every day of that here on atp tennis radio and i believe that stan Vavrinka might attempt to another comeback from that knee problem in that tournament and importantly it'll be the next time we have the atp tennis radio tennis tv predictions competition now i'm not sure and people who don't know about this week everyone who's working across tv and radio picks i'm not going to go through the scoring because i still don't understand it completely but you pick your three players in order of how you think we're going to do and we're doing it tournament by tournament but there's also talk of that this is going to become a league and so your points a little bit like the players you're not gonna have to defend them next year but you're gonna have to build them up and try and get yourself up the leaderboard now in terms your showing was sixth from 12 this year so in terms of your little sort of team talk with yourself what are the sort of tactics and are you gonna go very very tactical in Madrid or are you gonna go with a heart and throw in a couple of players that you just like and think will do well yeah it's a good question I think you've got to go with the obvious as your main man to begin with, your number one player. And that's obviously, <laughs> I mean, I tell you, it's going to be a, a, a brave person not to put Nadal there at the top okay. of that one. Uh, defending champion. But yeah, I think on the lower levels, the low, you know, two and three, it's a lot more open now, isn't it? You're seeing players make a run like a Nishikori. No one picked Nishikori no, this no. week. So if you have him in at, him at number two, you can make some, some good progress up the leaderboard. So, and when yeah. do people start picking Djokovic? When does he come back uh, into people's I was just thinking, thinking that I'm going to pick him come Rome. Rome, I'm going to be picking him somewhere in my top three. I'm not exactly sure yet. I'll see how he does in Barcelona and in Madrid. But I would imagine he's going to be one of my picks come Rome because I think he's going to get better each and every week from now on.
And Del Potro's going to be coming back into these Masters events as well, so yes, maybe. I've already said maybe ridiculously, and I can't even deny it now because it will just be played at me on repeat that I'm not going to pick Nadal to win mm, yeah, Rome. Yeah, yeah, well, that's brave, but yeah, going back to Del Potro, <laughs> I will, might that. have him in my top three come Rome as well because coming back in Madrid where there's a bit of altitude, look, he, he plays well in fast conditions, but coming back to altitude is quite tough. So... Yeah, yeah. And first match on the clay, first tournament on the clay, should I say. This clay court season's never easy as well. But, yeah, maybe he's going to be in there. If he makes a quarter or a semi in, in Madrid... And then you look uh, at the may, draw, though. Uh, Don't you have to look uh, at the yeah, draw? Yeah, because you've got to look at the players' draws and routes How through and, they who they, the and who they've in previous tournaments as well. So if you're going to pick them in Rome, you've got to see, OK, how well did they play in Madrid? Who did they beat to get to the quarters of the semis and see what sort of form... They're in, so I think... Some serious I th thinking you're Yeah, if you want to take it serious, it's just like fantasy league, isn't it? Whether you do it for soccer. Yeah. Uh, back in the back at home in the UK. Football. football. Should I say, why am I saying soccer? I've spent too much time in the States recently. Soccer. Um, football. So there's <laughs> a lot of... Um, yeah, I think you can you can really get into it. Oh, I see there's some... Because we know with, with Seb Lozio, who finished right up the top there, he literally looked at the draw, didn't he? And he thought, Nadal... Yes, as we all did. Mm. And he looked across and thought, well, Zverev has got a, got a lovely run through and, and Chilich down the other end. So he, he was, I think he was quite tactical in the way, in the way he Seb, went. Seb was good. I've uh, got to give him credit there. And he was first in with his predictions as well. He was, that email got sent out by our, our producer, Russell, and within 20 minutes, he had his three players down. So Seb uh, might be picking his brains before I make, uh, make my predictions for, for Madrid. Oh, this is interesting. I would love you to get involved, the listener. You can use it's ATP Tennis Radio is our Twitter handle. We've got studioatptennisradio.com is the email. So for the Madrid Masters, just your your three. So say number one is Nadal, number two is Zverev, number three, Goffin, et cetera, et cetera. Put your three in, send it in, and you can join in. And what I'm going to do for the next one is once all the predictions are in, because there's a little bit of shuffling around this time, I'm not really sure about how that works within the rules, I'm going to take a photo of everybody's predictions and I'm going to stick it out there on Instagram and social media so <laughs> we can have no juggling around and if anyone wants to see the rules I'm sure yeah there's... no excuses Pete Hodges <coughs> and Miles McLaggen apparently seems to be in charge of the rules and they keep slightly changing but there is no prize for people getting excited like in fantasy football not soccer you can win big you just win Respect of the Respect, team, not sure. Just, yeah, pride. Yeah. I think that's enough, isn't it? Nadal won a lot more than that. Got his 1,000 points, got his 11th trophy, and he remains, retains his place at the top of the rankings, but no let-up in pressure. That is it from Arvind Parra and myself. Arv, thank you very much for company. Pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Arv's going away to sort of plan his tactics for Madrid. But I should say the podcast is far from over as we bring you the best bits from the great and good of the tennis world, who we heard from during the week, all in conversation with Seb Lozier, and including the likes of Boris Becker, Fabrice Santoro, and Dante Bettini. But we begin with the coach of the King of Clay. I'm very happy to talk with Carlos Moya, coach of Rafa Nadal. First of all, Carlos, tell me about this game you're playing, the board game, because it looks a lot of fun, and that was emotional at the end, I could see. Yeah, it's called Parchis, and yeah, we used to play a lot. There are a lot of hours during the day that uh, there is not much to do, so uh, in a way it's, it's good also for Rafa to be a way of tennis to relax a little bit, although, as you could see, there is some pressure over there, but... Uh, yeah, uh, it's good to relax our mind and we have fun, which is important. 
And compared to the Rafa that we saw in Paris, and I remember him coming into the press room very deflated, down, you could tell physically and emotionally he was very tired. Now he seems extremely fresh in both ways. Yeah, he had some tough moments, although he is still number one this week, uh, this past year. So many ups, but few downs also mentally speaking. Uh, every injury that he had uh, obviously is a down uh, what he loves is to compete and, and being injured uh, doesn't give you that chance so uh, yeah also this year has been a little bit tough uh, with the, with his uh, injury it happened twice now it looks like he is healthy again when he's healthy I know what he's able to do so yeah that's the most important thing to keep him healthy and, and playing at this level so what kind of off season did he have not uh, much, honestly, because <laughs> he finished uh, after London. He had to recover from the knee injury. We went to Australia without playing a single point uh, during the off-season, so we could not work really a lot. But when when you are with a player like Rafa, that uh, he's coming from being number one, winning two slams, uh, I think the confidence is there. He's, he needs very few days to be back on track obviously he needs a few wins during the tournament to, to, to have his confidence back 100% and to see him at his best level but then again uh, in Australia he had a tough match against uh, Schwarman in the th- fourth round I think it was and then he had that injury we believe it came from that match we, with Schwarman was very tough so not uh, not a lot of a lot of off-season honestly but like I said uh, it's better to have some quality time uh, during these last couple of weeks and uh, yeah, I think he is back playing uh, with confidence and at his best level and on his best surface without question I th- if you were still out there how would you try and beat him? I tried to be in, on the skin of, of my of the opponents to, to think what can hurt Rafa and, and having that chance uh, helps us to, to see what the opponent can do and try to avoid that so yeah, he's playing well. We know that the, the opponent, if Rafa is playing like this, has to take a lot of risks. And, and best of three on clay is not easy in this surface to to go for the shot uh, every point. So we know that. But at the same time, we we try to convince him to be aggressive, not, not to wait for the opponent's mistake, but to play his game, be aggressive and take control of the point. And you, Carlos, you, you good memories playing here. You, I think you played 13 times, won it in 98. Yeah, it's always good memories coming to such a beautiful, beautiful place like this and with such a nice weather. Uh, people, is fantastic here always. Also, when you go with Rafa, everything is easier. <laughs> but yeah, it's great memories. It was It's actually 20 years ago when I won my, my title here. Like I said, great memories and, and we look forward every year to, to be here again. This is ATP Tennis Radio. I am here in the very comfortable but very small bijou I think we say uh, players lounge here in Monte Carlo like the rest of Monte Carlo space is at a premium with uh, Dante Bottini long time coach of Kei Nishikori eight years now with, with Kei and Dante you must be uh, very happy I know he's still on the road back um, to recovery but uh, must be happy with how he's gone here yes hello uh, yeah obviously I'm very happy you know start of the clay season you know with um, it's very important, I think, for Kay and for the hard work that he's been putting. So, so, so far, so good. Yeah, I've seen him out in the practice courts. I mean, he certainly does put the practice in, doesn't he? He's a hard worker. 
Yes, yes, he's obviously, uh, you know, we missed uh, almost like six months last year, you know, for his injury. So we got to, you know, obviously we got to work hard to, to come back and to and to level all these guys, you know, that they've been playing great. Uh, there are some new guys also on the tour, so, you know, you got to put the work, otherwise uh, you're not going you're not, you're not to finish the line, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, in many ways it's easier because the big four aren't all there but actually there are so many new players who've burst onto the scene while he's been away you know you can talk about Borna and his resurgence you can talk about obviously Sasha it must make it difficult that he's now got so many different new players to, th- to think about yes yes no of course you have all the old players you could you could tell that they still play amazing and then you have all these new players that they, they come back you know and they they bring you all these new games, so obviously you know you gotta be prepared for for everything. And um, I think K, you know, K is happy to be back. Uh, obviously, you know he's uh, he still need uh, more matches, you know, more competition, you know, to be at the at the level that, that we wanted. But uh, you know, I'm very happy with his performance. Yeah, I mean, as a former world number four, he's really doing it the hard way. He went right back to play challengers. Wh- whose decision choice was that? Was it his or was it a team decision? Yeah, that was a team decision, you know, because, I mean, uh, knowing Kay, you know, I've obviously been, been after a, a while of uh, playing tournaments, like six months, you know, five, six months. Um, he wasn't 100% already, you know, would say to... to you know, on the, to be back, you know, he still was uh, having some issues on the, you know, some pain or whatever you can call it, you know, on the wrist. So obviously, um, I thought, that, and, and it was the, it was actually a timing also, you know, because he wasn't ready to play the Australian Open because it's five sets, you know, and, and he wasn't quite ready. So then I thought that, you know, he was ready to play at that time and there, there was any other tournament. So you, you we had those challengers. So I say, yeah, let's enter to those challenges. Why not? You know, I mean, who cares? How, how does he do? You know, I know that the press is going to be talking like crazy and, and everybody's going to be talking, you know, and being surprised. But uh, we didn't care. We just, obviously, you know, the team, you know, we talked to Kay and said, listen, that's what we want for you on these matches, on these tournaments, you know, not high expectations. As you can tell, he lost in the first one on the first one and then he won the second one. But uh, we didn't care. You know, we just wanted the, for him to, to have matches and to be and to be in those situations again. And now for Kay, is it, I mean, physically, is he 100% okay, or is it mentally almost having the confidence in his body to go out there and trust that it's okay? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a bit of both, you know. Uh, um, I don't know, you know, he, he's, he's looking good, he's, he's healthy out there, you know, obviously he might have some discomfort some, uh, on some of the shows sometimes, but uh, I think that's normal, you know, after being a while... Uh, uh, especially in a wrist injury, but uh, but no, he's 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 looking good there, you know. Um, uh, these these matches are very good for his confidence, obviously, you know, uh, to start building it up, and then uh, you know, I think uh, he's on the right track. And you you've taken him from 98, I think, in the world to four. You you, you joined him in 2010. I guess the obvious question is, can you do it again, knowing what kind of player you've got on your hands? Yeah, I mean, that, that's why we work so hard all the time, you know, and, and I mean, I totally believe on my player, you know, he's he's still 28 years old, I think uh, he still has some of the best years on his career, and I think he knows that too, so, you know, I think he, yeah, totally, I totally believe that he can be uh, for number four again, or even better, 
you know, but uh, well, time, time would say that. And you work alongside Michael Chang for, for part of the season at least. Um, do you enjoy that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we, I think we have a, a great team, you know, with Michael joining us uh, three, four years ago. Um, he's not, you know, he's, he does 20, around 20 weeks a year, you know, with us, but, uh, but I think we have a great team. Um, you know, Michael and I, we communicate a lot and we, uh, we get along very well, otherwise uh, this wouldn't work, obviously. And, uh, you know, we respect each other. Uh, we are both coaches, so we both have a say in on K, but al- always we try to, to talk and to have only, you know, one message to K, so he doesn't obviously get crazy out there. But um, no, no, I, I really enjoy it, I like it, you know. Uh, I learn a lot from him, you know, obviously. Uh, great guy, great great coach. So we have a great team, actually. The, 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 the physio, the trainer, the agent, uh, it's a good chemistry. So, so I think, uh, you know, everybody's very happy in the team. And when both of you are in the same place, like you are here, Michael's here as well, um, is there a division of labour, a clear, defined, you know, do you do certain things and Michael does certain things, or how does it work? No, no, we... No, we both do pretty much the same, you know. Uh, obviously, when Michael is with us, uh, I let him uh, probably not do a little more, but maybe take the leader a little bit because, you know, otherwise, you know, wh- wh- why is he in the team, no? <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, and plus, you know, sometimes he's, I think he's away for like a month or a month and a half, and then he comes back and he comes with a lot of energy, which is, is, is very good, you know, obviously. And, and uh, but I uh, know we both uh, obviously talk a lot, you know, what we want to do in practice, what we want to accomplish, and then we put it, uh, we put it to work. And in terms of 2018, we, we obviously it's a long project from here, I guess, but what are the goals for, for this year for Kane? I think the main goal is to, 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 to play, uh, you know, pain-free. Uh, for me, you know, that's, that's the main goal, you know, uh, it, it just... To be able to go there and, and and play with no problems, you know, and obviously then the goals are still the same. Trying to you know trying to win a Grand Slam, trying to win a, a Master Series, you know, getting to the Masters. You know, obviously, you know this year is going to be a little harder, but uh, without playing the, the Australian Open and missing some some important tournaments like Indian Wells, he was sick there. But uh, yeah, the, the 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 main goal I think is uh, for him to. To have no issues, you know, on on his body, like uh, and to recover 100 on on the injury that he had in the wrist, and and then you know, listen, if he put the work and it, and he and if he's healthy, I think uh, he can accomplish uh, great things. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Well, thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with. Boris Becker here overlooking the magnificent Monte Carlo Country Club. Boris, first of all, thanks for talking with us. Uh, the International Tennis Hall of Fame honouring you again. You're receiving your Hall of Fame ring. What does that mean to you? Well, it means a lot to be honoured uh, by your peers, by uh, the Tennis Hall of Fame, to be receiving this, uh, this ring. Um, the tennis is my life. Uh, I've, I've been spending the last 35 years doing nothing else but being involved in tennis in one way or another and to uh, receive this this um, very honorable uh, award is, is very important to me. And do you remember how you felt when you were told back in 2003 that you'd be inducted? How did that feel at the time? Well it's a big deal, I'm a, I'm a sports uh, fanatic and I, I watch 
um, you know, pretty much everything in sports and, and uh, to, I know, um, the Hall of Fame for sports, uh, whether that's football or basketball uh, or tennis. And uh, when I was inducted in 2003, uh, in fact, by Jon Tiriak, I asked him to, um, to do the honours. Uh, it was a very important day in my life. You won 49 titles. Um, you came oh so close here in Monte Carlo, of course. Uh, talk to me about your memories of playing here. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be uh, uh, to win a, a major Grand Cleco uh, tournament. Um, I was three times in the final here. I was in the final of Rome and the final of Hamburg. Um, uh, even had uh, match points here against uh, Thomas Muster back in the day. Uh, uh, it used to be my home. I love Monaco. I love the tournament. I, I come back every year. Uh, but I would have loved to be on the winner's side. Grass, of course, is where it all started um, for you. Your first title at Queen's, I think, in 1985. Talk to me about your memories of that one. Yeah, I was 17 years old. You know, I was already on the tour for about a year, year and a half. You know. um, uh, in those days, uh, being a teenager uh, uh, wasn't that unusual, playing successful tennis. Uh, uh, nowadays, uh, uh, it would have been a bigger deal because everybody seems to be a bit older. Um, but back in, in the mid-80s, I was surrounded by teenagers. They were successful. Uh, and yeah, and my, my breakthrough came on grass, came in Queens uh, uh, in June of 1985. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. And a few weeks later, of course, was when the, the world really learnt about Boris Becker, Wimbledon, your memories of that. Yeah, it changed my life uh, quite dramatically. I called the 7th of July 1985 my sec- second birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I did, uh, um, the private life um, disappeared and the public persona arrived. Uh, uh, it's been unbelievable. You know, it opened me doors that I never knew existed. Um, uh, uh, it changed uh, my, my life for the better. Obviously, there are some downsides, being that famous and that popular and that successful. But the good uh, 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 very much outweighed the bad. Match point, that first Wimbledon match point. Can you remember how you were feeling, what you were thinking? Yeah, it's been a couple of years ago, so so let me let me think about it a little bit. But uh, it was against Kevin Curran. Uh, uh, in my very first match point, I actually hit a double fault because I couldn't uh, keep my concentration. Thankfully, the second one was good. And then, yeah, everything happened uh, just like in a blur. Uh, uh, you know, we shook hands. The president of Germany was in the royal box. You know, obviously the royal family was there as well. And I received the Wimbledon Trophy. And, and it's been very different since. And people talk about rivals. But I guess at the age of 17, in, in many ways, you were playing against your idols at that time. That's right. You know, I was uh, starting to be successful in the, the era of uh, McEnroe. And, and uh, Connors was still around. You know, Lendl was, was uh, number one then in 86. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, those other players, uh, um, and they were my heroes, they were my idols. Uh, uh, my my uh, number one hero was Torbjorn Borg. Unfortunately, I never played him. Uh, we did practice in Monte Carlo uh, a few years later, uh, uh, and he was still very good on clay. Um, uh, yeah, I was by far the youngest, and it was a great time. A few years later, 89, you won your first US Open. At the time, I believe you, you described that as the best moment in your tennis life so far. Why was that so special? Well, I, I, I won again in Wimbledon in 1986, and uh, uh, you know, those were my first two majors. And you know how the critics are; people quickly uh, label you as a grass court player and not the all-around player. So for me, winning on hard courts uh, was very important, and, and you know, winning in New York 
the US Open uh, was one of my absolute highlights. Uh, you know, who, um, whoever been on that center court back in the day is called Louis, Louis Armstrong. Now it's called obviously different. Uh, uh, it was it was you know by far the largest tennis crowd I ever played in front of, and and you know beating Ivan Lendl in the final who was number one then was was special. You, you mentioned beating Ivan. You, you beat him a couple of years later at the Aussie Open to become the world number one for the first time. How important was that when you look back now in your career? Funny enough, uh, in the 80s, uh, uh, we still have two rankings. The players of today don't know that. So we had an ITF ranking where I was number one already in 1989. But on the ATP ranking, Lendl was always a couple of points ahead or Edberg were. So, you know, they play different tournaments and, and I don't want to... I don't want to claim nothing that I didn't didn't receive. Um, so I felt that I had to play the computer better. Uh, so finally, in 1991, uh, beating Lendl in the final just gave me enough points to get over the hump, and I, I, I made that. Yeah. Who did you consider to be your main rivals back then? I think uh, uh, Lendl and Edberg were the two uh, players that uh, were always around, was always fighting for the number one spot for Grand Slam victories, obviously. Uh, uh, Sampras came a few years after Agassi uh, as well. Uh, I think that was the group that I, I, I fought with. Um, of course, uh, mentioned Jim Courier, mentioned Michael Chang. All these players were part of the group that uh, on any given day could, uh, could win a Grand Slam. So it was, was exciting tennis times. As, as we said earlier, 49 titles in all, six Grand Slams. Is there one memory that stands out or perhaps a top three that, that uh, you think, wow, th- those were those. I mean, I'm, I'm most known for my first Wimbledon title because that sort of put me on the map. Uh, for me personally, my second Wimbledon title was the most important one because it confirmed uh, my, my position in, in the world of tennis. And, and most importantly for myself that I, after Wimbledon 2, I feel like I belong. Just changing tack slightly, since you retired, you've obviously worked in the media, you, uh, you've coached. Uh, do you enjoy coaching? Was that something you always thought you'd do? Well, I was involved with the German uh, Federation uh, right after I, I stopped in '99. We had a junior program for five years. Then I went into media. Uh, I did your job of, of interviewing people and, and commentating on sports, in particular in tennis. Uh, and then I, I coached Nova Djokovic for, for three years. Uh, and I'm back with the German Federation. I'm the head of the men's tennis uh, uh, and, and, and very happy to do so. Yeah, you, you mentioned that you were with Novak. I think he won six of his 12 Grand Slams when you were with him. Um, obviously, he's gone through some, some tough times and now Marion's back this week. That chemistry between a player and a coach, in your opinion, how important is that? Well, it certainly affected me to have the right coach uh, when I was a player and I, I, I hope I, I affected the players that I've coached in a, in a good way. Uh, and I'm happy that uh, Novak is together with Marianne because uh, those two uh, have a very special relationship uh, and are wishing nothing but success. You mentioned you're now with the German Tennis Federation, head of men's tennis. Uh, it's a very different German federation now to the first one you, you worked with. Are you enjoying it? Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, we have a, a, a you know, great new president. We have a great team around him that, that understood that you know, uh, players of, of before may have an impact now in, in, in the men's or the women's tennis as well. And it's a great relationship. I enjoy working for them. And uh, so far, we've been successful. Yeah, well, four of the top 16 or the last 16 here are Germans. It, it seems to be in rude health. Yeah, yeah it's obviously um, 
I'm fronted by uh, Sasha Zverev, who's only 20 years old, uh, and his brother uh, Misha. But then we have Stroff, we have Paul Schreiber, we have uh, Gojcevic. We have a couple of players that are really making a mark on the men's tour, and we're very proud of them. Yeah, no Grand Slam winner, though, since your last one Not in 96. Sasha, the, the hope, the, the main hope for German tennis? I think he's the best of, of, of the ones that I mentioned. You know, <clears throat> He's got everything that, that it, you need to be Grand Slam champion, and I feel like it's a question of time for him. Do you see any of yourself in him? Uh, you know, he's coming up so young, of course. Uh, maybe that is a resemblance, uh, uh, the age. Uh, other than that, we have similar, uh, very different uh, styles, different personalities, but we carry the same passport. Just finally, Boris, I want to ask you what you want your legacy from tennis to be and what, what does tennis mean to you? Well, tennis uh, is my life. Uh, uh, I think uh, it's, it's fair to say that I want others to, to make their judgment, not me. Um, you know, my nickname was Boom Boom and that was because of the power I had uh, uh, and, and probably that's something players remember about my game. On Facebook, Twitter... Instagram, atpworldtour.com and the official ATP apps. This is ATP Tennis Radio. From a high-risk position, and now he looks to really get on top of a second serve. He goes for a drop shot. That is just incredible. What a return from Richard Gasquet. Moving into the ball, he just plays the most incredible drop shot that landed about half a foot away from the net and stopped dead. Rashad, you've just recorded your 500th win on the ATP World Tour. What are your emotions right now? Yeah, of course, I'm really proud of it, you know, because my first uh, first match I won, I was 16 years old. It was here in, Mon- in Monaco, you know, in 2002. So it's great for me to, to do it uh, 500 here again 16 years later. So, of course, it's, uh, it's very nice. I'm very proud with the way I play today. It's always tough to come back in, in quarters final here. So, yeah, of course, uh, it's, it's great for me to do it, uh, to do 500 matches here in, uh, in one of the best tournaments uh, in the world. Yeah, you mentioned that match all that time ago. What, what, do, you remen- uh, what do you remember of it against Franco Squillari? What, what do you remember that day? Yeah, I remember, of course, <laughs> I was young, you know, I was uh, 16 years old. I was expecting nothing about it, you know, just was, uh, I was just happy to be there. I was very young, you know, I, I watched all these guys uh, in front of my TVs and I played Marat Safin. It was a dream for me to, to be there to play this tournament. So, of course, uh, yeah, I was a child, I would like to, to say, and of course it was, uh, yeah. Just incredible for me to be part of the of this great tournament. And how special is it to, to get this landmark? You know where it all began all that time ago. Yeah, of course it's special. You know it's, uh, it's special because everything started here. As you said, it was a massive for me to win at 16 years old here in Monaco. I think many people remember this uh, this match. So yeah, of course. I can see more, uh, some some uh, videos on uh, on YouTube. It's uh, it's amazing. So of course, to come back 16 years later here, it's uh, it's very special for me. And did you ever think, you know, as a as a you know as a teenager back then, that you'd record 500 wins or, or, or you know in this time? Yeah, of course. It was uh, yeah, it's, uh, such a long time ago. But uh, I would have signed to to do to do this career. Of course, you want to do to do more. But uh, I just want to be yeah to be happy and proud with uh, with the way I played all this. Uh, this years and of course it's not over but uh, I'm uh, yeah of course it's 16 years on uh, on ATP so it's uh, it's great for me and who do you think have been the biggest um, influences on you over that time and how you've grown on in your game and on the tour yeah everything started with uh, with my with my uh, my father you know in south of france so yeah in france you have a lot of clubs you know so my france was a was a french a french tennis you know i grew up with uh, with all the players with we also history in France, 
in, in South of France, many tournaments. So of course, it's a, it's great for me. You know, even if I'm 32 years old, I have great memories playing tennis since I'm a child. So of course, I, it's it's amazing for me. And do you think you've kind of changed as a player as you've grown and, and, and developed on the tour? Yeah, of course, you change. You change every year. You know, now you are, I'm older, so it's, it's starting sometimes physically to be more difficult but you know my uh, my uh, my mental is still the same i enjoy to play i enjoy to, to win matches i really i like to to compete on a tour i like to be there to just to play you know even if it's not on a tour just to play tennis it's still a still a game for me so yeah i just want i want to do to do more in, in the future well i'm with a very happy coach Fabrice Santoro, uh, obviously a former top player yourself Fabrice and now coach to well both Pierre Hugabert and also Richard Gascos two such different players obviously Pierre Hugues much younger how do you how are you helping them both they're obviously very different well first of all I mean I have two players but I have two great guys so it's just really fun to work to, to work with them on a, uh, every day and um, um, my point of view it's um, it's a chance and a great opportunity to have two players because when you arrive on the court in the morning they can push each other and they can try to uh, like um a very uh, great relation with, between Pierre and Richard, and when they arrive on the court, they, they push. We can, if one is a bit tired, he can, the other one can can push him, and it's so it's um, it's really fun to have two players. Because Richard is only 31 still. I mean, he's relatively young. He's been out there for I think 16 years already on tour. He he looks like he's having a bit of a renaissance, though. What what have you done? Um, first of all, Richard, as as you said, is um, he had so many many years on the tour, but he loves the game. He loves to compete, um, and uh, when he's injured and far from the court for a few weeks, he's, uh, he's, he's a bit sad. So we had this already in the beginning of the year. He was injured for over a month, but now his feet, we work pretty hard uh, to prepare the clay court season. We had a good week in Marrakesh last week, and um, he's moving up every, every day. So um, finger crossed, and it's going to keep going. And you, Fabrice, I have to ask, 17 times you played here in Monte yeah. Carlo. Special place for you, too. I played this. I, I qualified here when I was 15 years old. So it's, I think it was 1988. Um, it's quite a long time ago, but I love this place. I grew up just two hours away from here. And uh, this Monte Carlo Country Club, when we, have, we are lucky to have this weather, is probably one of, of the best places in the world to play tennis. And I have to ask you about 1997, because it was a, it's fair to say it's a good year. You reached the semi-finals. En route, you beat Thomas Muster, Bruguera and Costa. Wow. You were playing good tennis. I didn't recover yet from, this, from that week. <laughs> no, it was a great week. And uh, with my game, it was uh, not easy to play uh, on clay, especially in the second part of my career, because I tried to be more aggressive. But I remember that week and it was, it was great. And just finally, it's such an important part of the season now, leading obviously up to Roland Garros and then beyond it, Wimbledon. A, a really a, a defining period of the season for many players? Exactly. Two um, to Grand Slam in the next, uh, in the next two months. Um, so it's very important to stay fit, um, to be um, humble every day, to work hard. And, and to be ready uh, every, every time you go on the court, every time you go to compete, you have to be ready to give 100% and try your best. Still enjoying yourself? I love, I love the game. Yeah. Fabrice, always a pleasure. Thank you. Merci. 
that's it from this week's podcast. Thank you very much for your time and for listening. And if you have enjoyed it, please feel free to review and rate us on iTunes, one of the many places where you can download and listen to our weekly ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Join us in a week when we'll be rounding up the latest tennis news from our base at the Barcelona Open Bank Sabadell, where Rafa Nadal will once again be going for an 11th title. Bye for now.